Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is April the 2nd, 2018, and this is episode uh, 2194 of the Survival Podcast. Apparently last week I was screwing up episode numbers left and right. Uh, but I do think we are back on uh, to proper episode numbers, and all of the errors have been corrected. Maybe not where they were spoken, but where they were written. Anyway, it is a Monday, so I do know this is a listener feedback show. Got some stuff queued up and ready to go for you today. Today is going to be much more of a current events show than we've had for a while, just based on the material that came in. Uh, one real practical question that I can give some ideas on, but the rest of it's kind of what's going on in the world. Starting out with what's up with all the teacher strikes going on across the country, and I'll tell you my thoughts on that. Also have uh, a question on containing a dog without conventional fencing. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to help on that one. Uh, why to YouTube banning gun channels? Why I think it would be a good thing if it actually really happened wholesale. Don't get mad. Wait, you might understand what I'm coming from when I get to it. Next, uh, in California, your coffee now comes with a cancer warning. While many people just think this is fundamentally ridiculous, I'm going to tell you why it was the logical conclusion to the illogical concept of having a state that's this invasive and involved in people's lives, and why it's not the end, and how this, this, this type of snowball reaction always occurs when the state starts to interfere with things that it doesn't need to be messing around with. Also, California is now concerned they're going to lose billions of dollars due to a census question on the next, uh, and a citizen question on the next census. We'll tell you what that really means, what that's an admission to, and what it doesn't mean as well at the same time. And next, 75% of the Earth's lands are degraded. 75%, it's a new report that's out, it's an article on National Geographic, says so 75% of our land in, in the world is degraded. <clears throat> what does that mean? Does it mean it's worthless? No, it means it's it's not where it used to be, and it's worse than it was. That could be a little bit, that could be a lot. But my, I have a question for you. Could that be good news in a way? 75% of the Earth's land is degraded. Is there any way that could be good news? Well, maybe there is. We'll get to all of that and more in just a bit. Before we get into your feedback, let's go ahead and uh, hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today, RidgeWallet.com. <clears throat> I am a convert to the Ridge Wallet. I didn't know that I would be when I decided to take them on as a sponsor. I was approached by a, a gentleman who has a rep for several companies, and one was Ridge Wallet. He said, you know, I have these companies. I understand you have a sponsorship spot you're going to be opening in January. Would you consider taking on any of them? And I said, you know, Ridge Wallet, actually, I find that really intriguing. And, uh, yeah, we can talk about that. We did, and they sent me some samples and stuff like that. And, honestly, when I first saw the product, I thought, you know, this is going to be a good product for my audience. I know I have a lot of listeners that kind of live that uh, that urban prepper lifestyle, and this is a good product for that, kind of that, you know, that, that, that man-on-the-street type lifestyle. Uh, and I'm more of a laid-back hippie duck farmer, so I don't know if this thing's for me. I like the security aspect of it, though, because, see, it's it's lined so that you can't sniff the RFID chips in your, your cards. But I had my old wallet with my cha military challenge coin in it and a bunch of other crap in it. And But you know what I always thought? Whenever I sit down in my truck or at my office desk, I either take that thing out or I feel like I'm sitting on a lo loaf of bread. Let me give this a chance, right? I'll, I'll take everything out of my wallet. 
I'll take everything that I actually think I have to have and put it into my Ridge wallet that will fit. I'll carry it around for two weeks. And if I hate it, I, I didn't send my old leather wallet and all the stuff that was in it off to the gulags. It's still here. I can switch back, be a big boy about this, and give it a shot, Jack. Uh, that was three months ago. And in my front pocket right now is my Ridge wallet. And I have finally, after three months, stopped doing the grab ass. You know the grab ass guys where you, you, you fill for your wallet, it's not there, and you have that momentary panic? Yeah, I finally realized, yes, your wallet's in your front pocket, Jack. And I've been carrying it, and I'm, I really like the Ridge Wallet. I think if you give it a chance, you'll like it too. It'll help you bring yourself more to that minimalist lifestyle. I think it's good for your posture. They also have great phone cases and a really great backpack and a charging solution as well. Check them out today at RidgeWallet.com. And remember, if you are an MSB member, you can get a discount at RidgeWallet.com. Next up, ButcherBox.com. Hey, man... These are two sponsors I brought on this year, and and I and I had a, a spot that kind of opened a while ago that I never filled, and then I had a sponsor that I decided to let go, not because um, they did anything wrong, just you know, I I just felt like I couldn't really do anything for them anymore. Like the, the, we've been selling one product for them for so long that we kind of saturated that in our market. So um, I started looking for people to bring on board, and when ButcherBox approached me, I said, you know, this is my. Imagine great, high-quality, you know, grass-fed meat showing up at your front doorstep, like having your own personal shopper that goes down to the best butcher shop in town and picks out the best cuts of meat for you and brings it to you. But I was a little skeptical until I got my first butcher box and took a look at the quality of the meat in it because I don't let other people pick out my meat. I'm telling you, man. I go. I'm the guy. I go to the butcher counter sometimes and like I'm like, well, I'll take two of those ribeyes and the lady's like, I'm like, no, not that one. No, 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 the one there. Yeah, that one. Okay, yeah. And no, 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 no. That one there. I, I am that picky because I know a good cut of meat when I'm looking at it. I know when it was treated right, when it was handled properly through the entire process. And when the guy that cut it knew what he was doing, and if it's a three-quarter or one-inch piece of meat, it's three-quarters or one inches all the way across, not three-quarters tapering down to three-eighths. That's not good cut meat. Butcher Box fulfilled everything that I could have ever wanted from a service like this with great pricing, and then they give you guys a discount that you can apply to free bacon for the rest of your life as long as you stay a Butcher Box customer if you're an MSB member. So check them out today at ButcherBox.com. Right, so before we get your stuff, it is uh, a good time to remind you guys you can help support the show with the Member Support Brigade, and don't skip this if you usually do, because why? Well, because today we're announcing a sale on the MSB. If you got the email earlier today and tried to use it, it didn't work. That was me screwing numbers up again. Usually I am the guy with numbers, but I don't know. I've been a little off track this last couple of weeks with my numbers. Anyway, uh, so I screwed up the discount code. So if you tried it and it didn't work this morning, go ahead and do it again. I got it fixed. It's working now. People are using it. Here's what you get. You get the MSB, or Member Support Brigade, for $30 a year for life. For life. Well, as long as you want to keep it, that's how it works. As long as you maintain an active account, or if something gets screwed up with the merchant provider, your car gets declined or whatever, if you tell me in a reasonable amount of time, let's say within 30 days of that happening, I'll give you the price back in your next year. Um, if you quit and go away, and come, then you've lost that grandfathered rate. But as long as you maintain an active account, 30 bucks a year for life as an MSB member. This product is is really worth the 50 bucks in spades that we sell it for all the time, guys. I have people all the time get emails with somebody. One guy listed itemized all of the, the, the discounts that he took, 
And he had put in a pretty big seed order and some things like that. And he saved over $500 last year on a product that cost him 50 bucks a year. And he said when he came up for renewal, he got an email from me that said you can renew for less money. And he decided to renew at the full price because his account got canceled by PayPal. And he just didn't feel right paying less for it. Don't feel that way, man. I put sales out very calculated, you know, at times and limits and how long they run. This one runs for a week. You have until close of business Sunday, Central Standard Time, so midnight Sunday, to either sign up online, sign up with cryptocurrency, or mail your form in. Because I'm a nice guy, if you have your, your form postmarked in the mail by that Monday after that Sunday, we'll go ahead and count it, because I know you can't mail it on Sunday and everybody else gets till Sunday, but that's it. If your dog ate your discount code, I'm sorry. When I do a sale, I have integrity, but for one week, you can get MSP for 30 bucks. If you're military, law enforcement, any of that stuff, Don't write in and say, hey, I want to... No, you don't. You want this one. This is actually better than what, than what the military gets. The military gets a 25% discount. Uh, this one is more in the neighborhood of like 30-something percent discount for you guys. 50 bucks a year down to 30 bucks a year. I'll tell you what. If you sign up this week and you use a handful of discounts over the year, you're good. I don't know you're going to save 500 bucks, but you'll sell, save you know, 60, 70, 80 bucks. That's profitable and you support the show. It's an easy thing to do, so please consider doing it. And hey, you'll be an MSB member, then you'll be part of the club, right? All right, anyway, so let's get into this uh, stuff. I had a lot of people asking me by emails for this show and for on stuff like Facebook and Twitter. I've been kind of called at, you know, at Jacks, at, at the Survival Pod C on, on uh, Twitter and calling me out by name or by the show on Facebook saying, hey, what, what's up? Because these teacher strikes seem to be going on everywhere now and more and more. You know, rumors of new ones coming about. Well, there's actually an article on the Wall Street Journal called Why Teacher Strikes Are Becoming a National Nationwide Movement. Let me read some of that to you. Tulsa, Oklahoma, Alberto Morjan, a teacher in Stillwater, Oklahoma, created a Facebook group early last month with an idea his colleagues called for far-fetched to recreate the statewide teacher strike in West Virginia that led to a 5% across-the-board pay raise. Uh, one month later, the Facebook group Mr. Morjan created has more than 73,000 members and helps spark a grassroots labor movement. The threat of a strike here has prompted a Republican-dominated legislature to pass the first tax increases in 28 years to fund a boost in teacher pay. The group was able to be very, very loud-voiced. People who, who make decisions couldn't ignore, Mr. Morjan said. On Monday, teachers across the state are planning to walk out to demand a bigger pay raise, prompting widespread school closures and sending parents scrambling to find alternative child care arrangements because that's what schools become, right? Child care arrangements, okay? Maybe that's part of the problem. I'll just back to the article. To prepare, unions have coordinated with community centers and churches to provide for students food and a place to go. And some districts, including Oklahoma City, sent students home Friday with prepackaged meals because many students depend on the schools for free and low-cost meals. Perhaps we have another problem. I don't know. Kentucky teachers also plan to protest in the state capitol on Monday against a pension bill rapidly passed through the legislature last week that shifts future teachers into a hybrid between traditional pension and 401k plans. And unions in Arizona and North Carolina are taking steps toward a possible actions over pay and benefits. The demonstrations come in response to years of steep cuts to state education benefits, but they're also spurred, teachers and their union representatives say, by an increase in political engagement 
following President Donald Trump's election to the National Republican Party, uh, more in touch with populist roots. The strategy is a perilous one, as the unions, already unpopular here in Oklahoma, risk appearing to push their luck by asking for more than the $6,000 average raise awarded to them in the bill passed last week. So they were just given a $6,000 across-the-board raise last week. But, quote, a strike is hugely disruptive to family and kids, said Dan Weisberg, CEO of TNTP, a nonprofit group promoting teacher quality. This is high stakes and it's a particular risk in a low-wage state. Still, the union leaders have taken to heart the lessons of the nine-day West Virginia walkout that concluded in early March. It ended with teachers getting a bigger pay raise. Quote, the activities in West Virginia really inspired a lot of teachers to believe again that they can change the system and their voice could be listened to in a real way, said Joe Thomas, president of Arizona Education Association, which held a rally in the state capitol last week where members demanded the state consider its own strike. In Oklahoma, far from balking, residents last week appeared enthusiastic about the impending walkout. People posted supportive comments on social media, sharing Facebook messages from teachers who posted images of their pay stubs. Some state employees plan to protest along with the teachers. The state education's budget has fallen by 28% since the 2007 to 2009 recession, according to liberal-leaning Center on Budget Policy Priorities, and teachers get paid less than in any other state in the nation. At the same time, the state has enacted hundreds of millions of dollars in tax cuts, much of it benefiting the state's dominant oil and gas sector. Oklahoma is one of 13 states that require a supermajority of votes of legislator, 75% to pass tax increases, uh, making it legally and politically challenging to enact new sources of revenue. See, I'm sick of that word being used by government officials right there. It's not a new source of revenue. No, revenue is what I generate in my business when I offer a product that people choose to buy because they want it. That's revenue. You have stolen freaking money. New sources of stolen money. You don't make revenue by taking it by force. You make revenue by offering services that are voluntarily provided and voluntarily purchased. Thieves. Anyway, back to the article. There was nowhere left to cut to fund education, and when there is nowhere left to cut because of the deepness of your cuts, people realize the reality, said Leslie Osborne, a Republican representative from Mustang, 20 minutes west of Oklahoma City. Miss Osborne said she was elected as a, quote, fire-breathing, and quote, conservative. But as a former House Appropriations Chair, she said she realized the tax cuts her party had supported were devastating the state. Yeah, you're a fire-breathing conservative, whatever. You can read the rest of you want. They still might walk out. They're getting a $6,000 pay raise in Oklahoma, that is. It was passed by the legislature on Wednesday, and it's going to be funded partly through a new 5% tax on oil and gas production. A feat thought unthinkable here seven months ago, said some of their union officials. So the teachers are getting a, basically a $6,000 a year across-the-board raise. But they might walk out anyway because they want another four grand. Because they don't want to be the, I guess, you know, the, the, the third lowest paid in the country or something. Comparing it to other states is, is kind of asinine because you always have to look relative what pay is based on where you live and what other jobs that are comparable to what you do pay. Uh, that that would be a much more beneficial way to look at it. We can sit here and say that you know a carpenter is paid far less in Texas than they are in New York, uh, but what how is a carpenter compare, paid compared to? people that do similar lines of work versus how they are in, in, in New York and what's the cost of living. 
So that would be a much better way to look. But what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. The shorter answer, the short answer is more teachers are going on strike because they did it in West Virginia and it worked. They did it in Oklahoma, sort of. They threatened to do it, and it's already worked, right? It's already worked, or it will be tested to see if it can work more. Can they get? Can they shake more money out of the money tree from the revenue from the thieves that steal the money of people that are actually productive and not parasites on society? What's going on on a larger scale? Here's a couple things going on. Number one, teaching in the United States is a broken profession. Because it is not managed in any way that makes sense at all. This is not anti-teacher, this is anti-system. And what I mean by that is, what places are there in society, in industries that are actually really successful at accomplishing their goals, where employees are paid the same because they've been there the same amount of time? And the answer is, there are none. No business in the world operates that way. And this is what's been referred to as merit pay in the world of you know this debate about education. And we talk about it like it's some weird thing. No, merit pay is how the rest of the freaking world works. If you suck, you get paid less. And if you suck bad enough, you get fired. Something difficult to do with teachers, by the way. Especially once they've been there a long time. So the first thing that, that you're seeing here is the results of a system where people are paid the same. Because the problem with people being paid the same is that the people that are the best will be seriously underpaid. The people that are middle of the road may be about somewhere around fairly paid. And the people that suck will be highly overpaid. So what you get is a unified cry for more money. Because the people in the middle would always, we all, everybody always thinks they're overpaid. But the people are underpaid, right? Everybody always thinks they're underpaid. But the people at the top know they're underpaid. Well, they're also the smartest and most active and most useful among the group. Usually the most articulate. Because being a teacher, part of being a good teacher is being articulate. If you are a teacher who thinks, man, my students don't ever pay attention to me, you're a shitty teacher. You're not good at making your content interesting. Okay? So the ones that are the most articulate, the most uh, spontaneous, the most charismatic, etc., are the ones that are underpaid, and they become the face of a movement. And then the people that are at the bottom of this that know, they, I think even though they're dummies, they know that they're overpaid. Hey, so what? Hey, those fat cats have money. So you, you, there's a unified group there. And then we've started this crap, of course, with this, this propaganda crap that's been running for decades, how teachers are heroes. You are not a hero because you're a teacher. You're not. I mean, you're not a hero because you're a soldier. Some soldiers are heroes. Some soldiers are shitbags. And it's okay for me to say that as a former soldier because guess where that term came from? That's a term that soldiers use for other soldiers that suck, that you can't trust, that you can't rely on. You call them shitbags. Okay? So if some soldiers are shitbags, then it only stands the reason that at least some teachers would be shitbags too. Okay? Oh my God, I can't believe you said that. They're all working so hard. No, they're not. No, they're not. And thanks to the world of smartphones and every kid having one of them, we've seen plenty of videos of plenty of teachers actually sucking at their job. Really, really bad. You can tell the kid's like ten times smarter than a teacher. Well, you have a thing like that. See, this is, this is what nobody wants to talk about because you get into the real world and that we can't have government jobs be in the real world. If you have a private company, and let's say you have 50 employees, 
And even if you're not paying everybody the same, if everybody's allowed to keep their job, including the people that suck and don't do it well, it infuriates your best people. And what usually happens in the private sector then is those best people say, screw this, they look to competitive markets, and they leave, and they go somewhere better. But see, in the artificial bubble of education and public sector education, which we call government schools, where are they going to go? There is no place to go. They're paid the same everywhere, which means the same parasites are everywhere. The same bottom-performing 20% that never get fired are everywhere. Good companies turn over 5% to 15% of their employees per every five-year cycle. And I don't mean the ones that leave for greener pastures. I mean, they actually call out, get rid of quality manage. Hell, even the military did this eventually. They figured out they couldn't let this go on. They paid people to get out. It was called the quality management program. And the guys are at E4. He's been in the Army for seven years. He has no hope of making sergeant. And back in the day, he could have hung on for another three or four or five years. So they paid him to go away. Teachers, not so much, right? Because they're all heroes. Not all heroes wear capes. Come on. So that's part of it. But the other thing people have asked me is, like, is this a symptom of the dying education system? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more successful they are at extorting more money with these strikes, the quicker they will destroy what's left of the education system. There's not enough money to pay for all this shit. Here's another little thing that most people would read right over. Uh, these teachers in Kentucky are pissed off that they want to replace the pure pension program with a hybrid between a pension program and a 401k. I'm going to ask you a question. If 401k is good enough for everybody else, why is it not good enough for teachers? Why can't they self-manage their own investments and they either win or lose based on how they do that? What a pension means is there's a promise to pay them a certain amount of money for the rest of their life after they retire, and no matter how bad or good the market does, they get that money. Which means you have to continuously expand your tax base to be able to pay people for not working in a fake artificial way. And the school, run by bureaucrats, is trusted to manage the investment. And they can get away with it because whenever they need more to cover it, they just say, look at all the poor pensioner teachers are going to die. It's not ever to have to eat alpha. This, is, this system is the most broken education system ever conceived of by man. And it's broken because, number one, it's, it, is, it is forced. It is compulsory, which means they have guaranteed customers. Number two, the money is stolen to pay for those customers, so you can constantly jack up the cost per customer. There is no recourse and nothing you can do if your school system sucks other than move and hope the new one that you end up inside the district of doesn't suck. You could jostle around school board members all you want. They don't really do shit when it comes to the grand scheme of things like this. They don't set tax rates. They don't set teacher pay. They screw up policy so they turn your kids into liberal idiots and convince them they need to go to college to become more of a liberal idiot. No, this system's dying. This system's dying, and this is a symptom of that death row. And what have I always told you? That when a giant governmental system, a giant governmental bureaucracy is dying, it's like a dying beast. It will lash out at everything to try to survive. You know, you can mortally wound that crocodile that's pushed back into a corner, 
But with one flip of his tail or one gnash of his teeth, he can kill you before he dies. That's kind of what we got here. And they're going to try to take down as much as they can with him. And they don't know they're doing that. The people behind us, they, see, this is the union mentality as a whole. They got lots of money. They got lots of money. They owe us. We should get as much as we can. That's the mentality here. And it's one thing when it's a steel mill. Because eventually, reality, reality hits. And the reality is starting to hit this sector. But it's been forestalled for so long. I'm telling you, when this thing blows up, you're talking millions of people expecting retirements that are not going to be there or going to be significantly lower. And you can have all the strikes you want. Because what's going to start happening is more and more people figure out how to work from home, how to be one-parent households, how to homeschool, educational co-ops, etc. There's going to be less and less for you to parasite on. And people are going to start not caring. And people are going to So you can tell a lie long enough and loud enough and people will believe it. But if you keep telling it for long enough and loud enough, eventually people will realize it's a, it's a lie. And that's what people are starting to realize. This whole mythology, this whole mythos is a lie. It's a lie. I don't want to hear any more about, I have to buy my children in my classroom tissues with my own money. Why are you doing that? And while you're crying, take the tissues you buy and use them for yourself. I mean, I am sick of this crap. We have people that work less than 180 days a year in some school districts making 75 grand or more a year with five to ten years of tenure with a guaranteed retirement for life that are bitching they don't get paid enough and crying that they have to buy supplies for children that they don't actually have to buy. They want them there, so they buy them and they make a choice to do that. No one makes them do it. And it's not like the kid can't learn without it. Children do not need freaking Kleenex to learn. This is pathetic. And this is the results. Anyway, can't do a whole show on this. I bet I could, but let's move on. So this next one comes from Dennis. Dennis says, can you recommend an off-grid way to keep a dog in an open area and to prevent him from running off? I looked into your item of the day dog collar, but it doesn't seem like it would help any more than just training. Maybe a collar with some kind of base. I have 30 acres and I want to start planting a food forest and sections growing in my zone one. I want my dogs to keep away deer and other pests from destroying our new growth. I have a five I have five 100-watt solar panels with a few deep-cycled batteries and also a windmill air-powered air compressor. Maybe helpful if someone can think of a way, Dennis. All right, Dennis, there's, uh, there's certain ways to do this. Now, first of all, you're right. An electronic training collar, which is included in a solution that I'll, I'll recommend you consider and evaluate, but I'm not going to tell you it's the right one for you, is a part of a different system that's run more like you're talking about with a base, but it kind of runs a little bit differently. Um, so... The training collar is a tool that is used for correction, and the proper use of the training collar for correction is it comes with a command, and when the command is disobeyed, the dog is given a warning, usually a vibration, and when the dog continues to, to ignore the command, the dog is given a correction, which is an electric shock. And the dog trick collar you mentioned that I recommend, what I love about it, it has like from 0 to 150 on its settings. It has a lot of variance in there. And that means that, for instance, when I started using it to train Charlie with some things, I set it to 25. I told him no. He tried to eat the weed whacker anyway, which is going to hurt him a hell of a lot more in the collar. I zapped him with it. He didn't feel it. I turned it up to 30. We ran the weed whacker again. He attacked it again. I zapped him. He didn't really seem to react. 
turned it up to 35, he got, we got a reaction. And then all of a sudden, the weed whacker's not for attacking anymore. So I train Charlie with things like, do not be aggressive to the animals unless it's in the way that I've taught you when I say it's okay. And then when he showed aggression toward the animal, I would correct him with no, and then shock him. Okay. This type of tool with a lot of patience and a lot of effort could be used to train your dog where his limits are. Don't go past there unless I say so. You got to learn. But I mean, it, it, it's a pretty like if you're asking this question, you're probably not there with your dog training ability. And I would say it would be marginal whether or not I'd be able to pull it off myself. And, and unless I had a lot of time to dedicate it to it, it would be very difficult. So there's two other types of solutions that use electric training collars in these instances. One is a base-mounted system, like you're saying, that determines how far the dog can go. And when the dog reaches a certain distance limitation, the collar sends him a warning, a beep or a buzz or something. And that says, you've gone far enough, you need to stop. And then the dog will either stop or not stop, and it continues, it'll get a shock correction. Now, there's people that think you can set one of these up. The, on the other, Okay, let me give you the second way that they work, and I actually prefer the second way. You bury a thin wire around the perimeter, and that goes back to a control device, and that wire sends out a radio frequency signal, and instead of relying on it to determine that the dog is too far away, it relies on the dog's proximity. And when the dog gets into a certain closeness to the border, now it gets a warning, and if it continues, it gets a shock. There are people who think you can take one or the other of these things, set it up, put your dog in it, and just let them go. Well, if you were getting shocked by a collar, what would you do if you were a dog and didn't understand what was happening? You'd break into a blind run. But when you break into that blind run, where are you probably going to go? Whatever direction you were pointed in. Since it's whatever direction you were pointed in, you're going to probably run straight across the wire. You might get shocked a couple more times, but now the shock is going to stop. So now you go out and do whatever dogs do when they escape, and you decide it's time to go home, because most dogs will come home. They like it there. So they turn around and they head back. Well, what happens when they hit the perimeter? Every which way they try to come home, they get shocked. Now the dog runs away. The dog becomes afraid of, of, of the location that it's supposed to call home. Dog ends up, you know, lost or in a pound or whatever. Not good. You can't use these systems like that. The good systems come with as much wire as you buy, the tool, the dog collar, everything, and a bunch of little flags, like marking flags that you put out, let's say if you were marking where cable is or where you wanted to trench dug or something like that. And you put these wires out, And you walk with the dog. And when the dog approaches, you say no. You stop. You stop him physically. Then you let him go ahead and test it. He gets a beep, and he's more like, what the hell's that for? You say no. Stop. And when he gets close enough to that flag, zap. He gets zapped. And ideally, he'll be just like a nose away from that flag when he gets zapped. And then this takes, this takes days and days and days to because you have to train this behavior. And then what you do over time is let's say you have 100 flags out marking your perimeter. You go and you take, let's say, 25 of them away. Every third flag you take away. So the dog starts to see, okay, there's a, there's a break here. And when he goes toward that break, you still tell him, no, don't do it. And he'll get a, he'll get a correction. Okay? Flags are not... Flags are showing me where the thing is. They're not the thing. Let's try to get that into the canine brain. 
And then what ends up happening is as you keep taking more and more flags away and the dog keeps testing the system, and see, once he's been shocked a couple times, that beep, oh, I see. And these are pretty good. The, what I don't like about the bases is this is the potential, in my mind anyway, for something to be moved or whatever that blocks the signal, that makes the signal take longer to make its, its time travel, that might fool it into shocking your dog when it shouldn't. Whereas the wire is a proximity tool, so unless the dog is actually in that proximity to that wire, it's not going to get warned or corrected. I have used one of these. It worked really well. It was for a dog that constantly dug holes under an actual fence and escaped. And we buried it with the neighbor's permission just on the outside of the fencing, all the way around it. Put the collar on them, and it stopped the problem. That was much easier than doing what you're talking about doing. It takes training. You're going to have to train the dog to make this work. Um, but those are your, your, you know, the things you could be doing. The, the, the best solution would be actual physical barrier fencing where the dog is supposed to do his job. That can be very expensive, though. The next um, level of fencing would be stranded fencing with electric wire that your, your, your solar panels and a charger could obviously run. And when a dog learns of what an electric fence is, they have a whole new respect for fences. Oh, my little dog, Lucy, she managed to hit the electric wire that we have that protected the duck area, That dog ran like a bolt of lightning all the way to the other side of the property crying. And I ran after her pretty quick because she can climb a fence if she really wants to. I was afraid she'd run away. And uh, she came running back to me like a scalded dog, man, just her tail underneath her dog. And she doesn't get up on those fences now, at least that fence. And she will get up on the other fences. She knows. So the other option maybe would be to put in electro-wire fencing in the area. This would serve two purposes. One, it would keep the deer out as well as keep the dogs in, and then the dogs could see to other things and any other livestock or anything you ever do in the future. This would be highly beneficial, and it's a lot less expensive because you're talking basically T-posts and wire and insulators. So the other side of that, though, is then you're also talking maintenance because when brush and stuff gets up on those electric wires, it grounds them out and they stop working. So those are basically your, your, your options. Full training, which dogs can always break their training, no matter how good a job you do. Training using an electric collar solution with uh, an underground fence, and the one I would recommend I have linked for you today, um, or putting in physical barrier or electric fence. It's really the only way that you're going to be able to do this. Please do not make your dog into a, a tethered dog. I think tying a dog up, other than for short-term situations, is a horrible, horrible way to keep a dog. Uh, it just, it, it's awful. If it's done in short term, we had a, a bird dog, for instance. We didn't have a fence. He was fine if you were watching him. He would never break and never run, and even if he started to, he'd say, Hey, Britt, no. Oh, okay, they're here. They're paying attention to me. He never took off. If he was let out, and not watched, he would run up the road and go play with the other neighbor's dog and, and get into trouble and what have you. So we had a line tied to a tree. We put his collar on him. And if he, re I guarantee you, if he really had needed to, if something horrible was going on, he could slip that collar if he really needed to. But he would. It was enough to remind him. And when we were out and about with him, we just let him outside with us. But if, we, if he had to be out and we weren't there, we'd put him on it. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who have a dog that lives on a chain. 
That is that is a sick way to keep a dog, in my opinion. It's not. It's just not right. Not going to be right. If you can't invest in the infrastructure to allow your dog to be outside uh, in a way that will work, then you're not ready for a dog that fits that type of lifestyle. You're just not. I, mean, I, I hate saying that because dogs need homes, but um, I see the results of it around here. There's dogs out running every day. There's people that lose livestock. There's people that get their dogs shot because of it. And it's just, it's, it's, it's stupidity is what it is. So please, you know, make sure that you're in the right place before you take a dog into your life. It, you know, it's like taking a child, though not quite as serious. But sh people should take it a hell of a lot more serious than they do. You wouldn't go adopt a kid if you couldn't even afford a crib. Right? I mean, seriously, you would not do that. You wouldn't go adopt a kid if you had three kids and you were already living in a one-bedroom house and they were, they were sleeping like cordwood underneath your bed. You wouldn't go, you're not ready. Right? So you got to treat dogs the same way. This next one comes from Kevin. Kevin says, Hey, Jack, do you care to comment on the upcoming changes to YouTube channels related to firearms? How do you predict that scenario will play out? What advice do you have for anyone making or following some of the popular uh, firearms channels on YouTube? Uh, perhaps it would be wise for some of those YouTubers to make and sell a DVD set of those episodes before they're taken down. A lot of firearms enthusiasts in Canada rely on YouTube channels, reviews of firearms, accessories, shooting skills, customizing kits for 1022s, etc. Uh, are there any hard copy audiovisual uh, available online that you'd care to recommend this time? Should the YouTube channel start to be choked out? Thanks for all you do, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to say something that people are going to really take the wrong way at first. I actually think it would be fantastic if YouTube would do what the liberal dweebs at Google really want to do here and just haven't yet, and completely ban firearms channels. They've played around with demonetization. Right now what they're talking about, people are like, they're banning all the gun channels. Well, I just got an email that Hickok45 uploaded a new video, and I went and checked it out, and it was pretty cool. And he was even shooting a freaking uh, legally possessed fully automatic weapon. So no, they didn't do that. What they say they're doing now is banning any video that shows how to modify a gun. But they're not specifying exactly what that means because, let me explain. Let's say that I go out and I buy a bolt-action rifle for deer hunting, and it has iron sights on it. But it also has, I'm not even drilling and tapping, it has a place to mount a scope. It has that there. And then I go out and I buy myself a base and some rings and a scope. And I think, hey, self, You have a firearms channel. This is a great opportunity for you to do a video on the proper way to mount a scope on a rifle. Technically, technically, maybe, I don't know. I know legally this isn't the case, but does YouTube mean this? Technically, that's modification. It didn't have a scope. Now it does. It's also completely legal. Let's talk about a true modification to a weapon. As in, we are altering it permanently, yet it's completely legal. Let's say that we find an old rifle, and that rifle was never drilled and tapped for a scope. And we buy that at a gun show, and we come home, and we say, Hey, self, we have a gun channel. Let's do a video on how to properly drill and tap for scopes. Is that, under YouTube's guidelines, modification? That would be what we'd call a legal modification to a firearm. Let's say that what we're doing is we're threading a barrel so that it could take various different uh, tools or implements, such as a suppressor. 
including a fake suppressor because we thought it looked cool. And we modify that gun to take that suppressor, but we don't put a suppressor on it. Or if we do put a suppressor on it, it's a mock suppressor. It's just a thing to look at. Now we have done a true modification to the weapon, by all definitions, but it is also legal. Would that be banned under the We don't know. Now, let's say what we're doing is we're reducing the sear on a semi-automatic weapon so that it will fire fully automatic. This is an illegal modification to the weapon, and I don't think a lot of people are putting videos out showing that because it would probably result in some guys with black jackets with big letters on them kicking your door in and coming in and getting you. But there is another place that we could look to what this would mean. Now, let's say that I am a gunsmith, and I have a tax stamp for my suppressor, and I am showing how to modify that gun to take a suppressor. Well, that is a legal thing for me to do. I have a stamp for the suppressor. The gun was not capable of taking the suppressor, but now I've showed someone how to affix the suppressor. What if I am a manufacturer of suppressors, and I'm doing a video that shows how to make a suppressor? This has nothing to do with modifying a firearm, but I'm showing the process by which they're made, which could be used by somebody. Is that what they... We don't know. And they're pussyfooting around. And let me tell you why they're pussyfooting around. They're a bunch of ballless bitches. That's why. That's why. They won't stand up for what they really want. What they really want is they would really like all these icky gun channels off of their, their channel. But why won't they do it? Oh, why won't they do it? Well, it's an odd thing, but I can't give you the hard numbers I wanted to right now. I hadn't looked them up. I figured it wouldn't be a problem. But the reality is, if you think about some of these these uh, channels that are based on firearms that are on YouTube, some of them have 2 million, 3 million or more subscribers. Um, it, it, it's, it's highly probable that the total number of people that specifically watch YouTube for gun-related content is in excess of 20 million. I, I don't even think that's close to... A, uh, you know, being over the top. In fact, the person that wrote in mentioned that a lot of people that live in Canada watch YouTube for gun content because they don't have a lot of that up there. And I imagine that happens from all around the world. So it's not just a U.S. you know gun owner issue. And when we did some research to compile the number of Americans that own at least one gun in America today, the number we came up with was somewhere around 55 million people. That's a pretty big demographic. So the reason I say it's kind of funny, I can't get it. So I thought, well, hell, maybe they did something. I don't know about it. I went on YouTube, and I, I actually just went on Google real quick, and I was wondering, how many subscribers does Hickok 45 have? So I put in Hickok 45, and of course the Google result comes up for his YouTube channel first. I click on it, and I got that, you know, the monkeys are trying to fix something that's broke issue, uh, error code that, that YouTube puts out on, or Google puts out. And, uh, well, damn, the hell's that about? So I, I figured, well, I'll, ch I'll check nothing fancy, because he's, he's been around forever, and he probably a good indicator of how many people some of these bigger channels have. So I stuck him in, and I got the same monkey error code. Well, I went to straight to YouTube, and it came up. Okay, now I'm really like, oh, what the hell's going on here? And uh, so then I, I, I stuck in Hickok45, and a bunch of his videos come up, and they all play just fine without the monkey error. And so I stick in nothing fancy, and a bunch of his videos come up, don't play the monkey error. So then I stick in, like, just guns, and I find Texas Plinking as the gun channel, and um, I, I decided to look at their channel and see how many subscribers they have, and I got the monkey error. It's like, well, what? They're leaving the content up, but they're they're taking down the, the the ability to go directly to the channel. 
And you could see somebody finding that and putting out a video on on Facebook going, look at what they're doing. So I thought, well, wait a minute. So I started changing, and everybody's channel, at least for me right now, is doing that. Like, no matter what it's about. It could be a channel about playing with toys, and it's it's doing that. So um, so that's a, that's a good little indicator there of how things get blown out of proportion. But the reason they won't do it is because they'll create something that they have no interest in creating, an actual competitor for YouTube. The reason everybody's upset about this is because YouTube is the place for online video. Really. Except for porn. Which there's plenty of places for that, apparently. But apparently one is called Pornhub. And some of these gun people have been already kicked off of YouTube start putting their videos on Pornhub. I don't know if that's true. That's what I saw on Facebook. It may be. Um, but why that when there's so many other opportunities out there? There is a website that's part of the Steemit Empire. It's called DTube. DTube. And the way it works, it looks just like YouTube. And it works just like YouTube. But you can back people who you like on there and pay them in Steam, which is their, you know, their currency. And it's run, uh, I think by IPFC or some sort of protocol where the video that you're watching is actually, you know, decentralized and it's being hosted by hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of computers uh, and and that way it could never be taken down. It's like file sharing basically across a, a video platform is the way that I understand it. If I have that wrong, please correct me, but one way or another, you put content on DTube, no one can take it down, no one can do anything about it, and the community judges it based on a meritocracy. Now, to do this, you have to have a Steam account. Setting up a Steam account has been a pain in the ass for me because they say I already have one which I can't figure out. And then when I try to use a new email, they say they know that one too, and it's just a pain in the ass, and I haven't done it yet. If they could make that a little more streamlined and smooth, then I know millions of people use Steam already, so it's probably a jack problem. But, you know, if it was a little quicker and easier to sign up and use that platform, uh, they may be a little more successful. However, people are creatures of habit, and most people watch their video content on YouTube. And that's why even though there is a plethora of things like Vimeo and Daily Motion and shit like that, YouTube is dominant. It's absolutely dominant. And that's why people are upset about this. If there, if there were competing video sites that were as popular or even 50% as popular as YouTube that had monetization platforms in them, then the people would just go there and say, I'm, I'm done with this. Why won't the content providers leave YouTube? Because the consumer doesn't want to leave YouTube. That's why. Why am I putting all my content on YouTube? That's where the eyeballs are. I put a video on YouTube, and in a day it has 1,500 views. I put a video on Vimeo, and in a day it has 100 views, if I'm lucky, maybe 45 or 50. I get emails. I get more emails from people saying, well, why don't you put this on YouTube than I get from people that say, hey, I watched it. So they, I will actually get people that say, well, I don't want to go to Vimeo. I, I don't know. It's just a video. I just click it, it plays. So we, the content creators, put our content on YouTube because you, the consumer, goes to YouTube. That's why. So if, if the people at Google would get up their stones, quit being a bunch of freaking pansies, and do what they actually want to do, ban the gun channels outright, millions and millions and millions of pissed-off consumers, not just content creators, would go to a platform like a DTube or some other platform. And when they went there, the consumers, since the consumers go there, the content providers would go there too. Absolutely. Now, 
making DVDs. I don't know. I'm a digital products guy. I think that if you want to sell a product today and you're printing a DVD, I made a lot of money selling DVDs in the past. Okay. Um, I, I think that's just the way of the past. There's no point to DVDs anymore. I don't want a DVD. I want a digital download. I want it compatible with all of my systems so I can stream it on my TV across Apple TV. I want to be able to stream it, you know, with my Amazon uh, Fire Stick or whatever. I want to be able to watch it on my computer. I want that's what I want. I don't want a DVD that can get scratched. And then I have to have shipping, and then I have to have inventory, and have manufacturing and materials. So I want a digital product. I think any serious content prov- provider should be providing some format or form. Uh, of their digital content that can be taken and consumed. Now, the reason that doesn't work that great on YouTube for content providers that are putting like like 30 minute videos or whatever is that anybody with 10 seconds worth of time can figure out how to strip video off of YouTube and do everything I just said. But if they, if I, I think those providers should be creating custom content. Now, this is a good self-defense technique for you content providers. I think they should take right now. Any content provider with serious content on YouTube. When you log into your account, you can go into the back end of your channel to the video manager, and you can download a very well-compressed version in HD, if that's how you put it up there, MP4. That is much more, in my opinion, from what I've seen, much better compressed, much smaller file size, much better suited to upload to other video sites than the one that you originally uploaded to YouTube, because it'll take less time to do so. And I think you should go through and download all your MP4s, and you should go ahead and put them on uh, other other uh, video networks, any of them that are out there you can. I have not done this myself, but I should. And I am not a serious YouTube creator as far as I'm concerned. My main medium is this podcast and audio. But I should do that too, even me. Uh, that way there's multiple copies, and you have both the originals you've edited, plus you have the compressed MP4s, plus you have it existing in other places. And I would start getting your shit on DTube right away. I think that's going to be the sign of the future. But I, I see, here's the thing. People are outraged about this. I have to remain consistent in my principles, or they're worthless. So when I say that the guy that was forced to bake a cake for the gay couple or pay a fine shouldn't have had to had do that, Not because I'm anti-gay, because I'm the guy before they legalized gay marriage that went and got myself ordained as a minister and, and put out an open invitation. You can't find somebody to marry and you're gay, I'll marry you. I don't care. right? I, I think everybody should have equal access to whatever. So I'm this not about being... But I don't think that a private business should be compelled to serve a customer that they don't want to serve for any reason. I don't think that we should be able to tell that gay uh, that uh, that baker that not only do you have to serve the gay couple, you need to have in your catalog suitable gay wedding cakes to be purchased with two grooms on them or two brides on them, right? Or whatever they dream up, right? I don't think we should be able to do that. So I don't think a company like YouTube, Google, should be forced by government or anybody in any manner using force or coercion to carry content that they don't want to carry. But I think it would be great if they would just go ahead and ban everything they actually want to. So that the world can look and say, I know who I'm doing business with now. And that, they, that, that then we can actually get valid competition in the market. Because there is nothing preventing any company from providing an alternative service. There are alternative services. They're just not very successful. And what, what YouTube knows in their heart of hearts, even though they hate it, is that a big part of what built them 
is the very content that they hate. Because it's not just gun content. It's political content, isn't it? Right? It's my buddy Vin Armani's show that's on YouTube. They don't like that either. They would like to ban that. But if you ban all of that, if you ban the Paul Joseph Watsons of the world, right? If you ban the Jack Spiercos of the world, the Vin Armani's of the world, the Hickok 45s, the Nut and Fancies, right? If you ban all of us, well, then we got something, don't we? And then they have something they don't want and that they're deathly afraid of, competition. What they are is a monopoly by default. They became so successful so fast, had so much money, so much growth. I mean, remember, YouTube was bought by Google for $9 billion. So long ago, it seems like forever ago. And the reason Google bought it is they went on a spending spree buying stuff because they had so much cash in reserves that the Federal Trade Commission was talking about treating them like a mutual fund instead of a stock. They had too much cash on hand. And that $9 billion seemed crazy at the time. It's paid itself back in spades. But when you think somebody's spending $9 billion because they need to spend money to buy something, the money they were able to put into it, then they came up with the AdSense program. They became the dominant publisher uh, space. And then they screwed all their publishers as soon as they choked out the competing platforms. It's a pattern of behavior. But they just won't pull the trigger here. Pun intended. Go ahead, Google. Do it. Ban me. Ban Hickok 45. Ban Vin Armand. Ban us all. Ban everybody that you hate what we have to say. Ban all of us who help make you what you are. Ban us. Please. Google. Ban me from YouTube. And not just me. Everybody like me. Ban all the libertarians. Ban all the anarchists. Ban all the gun channels. Ban all the weapons channels. Ban everything that you politically detest. I dare you to do it. I dare you. I double dog dare you to do it. I triple dog dare you to do it. And you won't do it because you're a bunch of freaking cowards. So what's it going to take to get a competitor off the ground? Folks, it's going to take you. It's not us, the content producers, that, that, that make YouTube successful. We contributed to their success by building our platforms there. No. I'll tell you what makes them successful in the end, though. It's you. One content provider with a million subscribers. Or someone like myself with 35,000 or whatever it is I have. Okay, We are the content but you are the dollars. You make up the revenue stream. You're the ones that they sell on YouTube Red. You're the ones that they put a banner in front of or an advertisement for Chevrolet on. It's you guys. You guys are what makes it work. And I'm not calling for a boycott. I'm just saying if, if a whole shitload of you, and my audience on YouTube is not big enough for this, not even close, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, ban us all. Ban us all. Send 20 million people looking for an alternative in one fell swoop. Go ahead, do it. Cowards, you won't. Because, you see, here's the thing. Their preference is money, and they're putting it over their political principles. They're putting their preference over their principles. Now, they, w they would like to have their cake and eat it too, right? They would like to be able to ban all of these channels and keep all their money. And not create a competitor. See, they've demonetized most of this content already anyway. 
This content's not making the money directly. It makes the money indirectly. Because they don't piss all of you off so you don't all leave so you watch all the other stuff that they still put commercials on. You see? This is how this works. They won't do it. They're cowards. They're cowards. You know, either make good on the principle that YouTube is for everybody and stop doing any of this shit, or go ahead and pull the trigger. Go ahead. See what happens. Eventually they'll do it. Hopefully by then we'll have built something that people are actually using, though, because we just don't have enough people using alternatives so that people like me that create content will use those platforms. It's kind of a chicken, chicken and the egg type of thing. How do we get enough content there? I'll tell you one thing I've seen about DTube. It looks to me like people are just putting content there, whether the creator knows it or not. And if you get enough catalog of, of material up there, then you'll get people using it. Because you don't have to an account, have an account to watch it, uh, just to participate. Uh, let's take another one. This one is more lunacy from the state of California. <laughs> I have an audio uh, portion for you to listen to here, so I'll uh, pause and uh, let that come across, and I'll come back and give my thoughts on it. And maybe you're on your first or second cup of coffee this morning, but a new court ruling here in California is stirring up some serious controversy about a chemical inside that morning cup of joe and how it may impact your health. This morning, you may think twice about that cup of joe. A California judge has issued a proposed ruling that would require Starbucks and other coffee sellers to put cancer warnings on their beverages sold in the Golden State. That decision landing after a nonprofit group sued multiple coffee companies back in 2010, claiming that the businesses violated state law by not warning people about chemicals used in the roasting process. One, acrylamide is a probable carcinogen, but its effect on humans is still relatively unknown. We know acrylamide in large doses in laboratory rats can cause cancers. In humans, that connection, that link has not been made. The chemical is found in very small doses after coffee beans have been heated. And the coffee industry argues the levels are harmless. According to the National Institutes of Health, acrylamide is also found in other products like French fries, potato chips, crackers, bread, and breakfast cereals. But now in California, coffee brewers may be required to add warnings that coffee contains chemicals that can cause cancer or birth defects. Some argue that may scare customers away. I think if you were to put a cancer warning sign inside a coffee shop, it would definitely affect the business. The National Coffee Association says the industry may appeal the decision, saying in a statement the World Health Organization has said that coffee does not cause cancer, adding coffee has been shown over and over again to be a healthy beverage. This lawsuit has confused consumers and does nothing to improve public health. In the U.S., more than 60% of people drink coffee on a daily basis, brewing up a $30 billion industry. I think people are a little bit too obsessed with their coffee to really have it be a big deal. And doctors say that Java Fix does have health benefits. Coffee in moderation, two to four cups a day, has been shown to decrease your chances of getting diabetes, decrease your chances of getting liver cancer, decrease your chances of having heart disease, and we think maybe even decrease your chances of a premature death. But again, moderation is the key. So, Joe, if this actually becomes the law, what would happen to coffee mm -hmm. chains who didn't put the warning on and didn't listen to the guidelines? 
Well, there's another uh, lawsuit that's coming down the pike that will determine if these coffee companies have to pay any sort of civil penalties here. And we just want to emphasize one more thing. This ruling does not mean that someone has found that coffee here causes any sort of cancer. Guys. Hope not, because you're really hitting yeah. us where we live now, Joe. We're literally on the bottom of the cup. That's right. Inside. Oh, yeah. Sir Lipton is laughing right now. I know some of you are just shaking your heads. Uh, or you've heard about this over the last week, and but even hearing it again, you're just shaking your head. I, there's a couple things I want to point out that are not directly related to this story. Number one, I want you to notice how all of the people that are involved with the story, including the reporter that starts out with the story, you know, she's there on site where you have to rethink that morning cup of Joe because a judge says so, right? You can tell that none of them believe this at all. None of them buy into this, including the one that acts like she buys into it. Because somebody wrote this Dolta script and gave it to her and she read it. It was, it was, so there's a problem in media right there. There's a video out this, uh, this, this week. Maybe I should play that for you guys. Maybe I'll fit it in. I'll see. But it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's the news talking about fake news and how dangerous it is. And it's like a thousand different stations from all over the country all saying the same shit in unison uh, as though it's all their own individual ideas. We've seen things like that before. So there's some of that going on here. Also, toward the end, it's the Today Show people and Al and whatever. And they're all, hey, 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 hey. and I was going to cut that out so you don't have to listen. I said, no, you know what? These are these idiots. This is the, these blithering idiots are the ones that we're relying on for information. And you wonder why people are successful in alternative media uh, to the dismay of, of this establishment pile of idiocy here. They don't believe what they're reporting, but they report it like they believe what they're reporting anyway. They'll never tell you the truth and their honest opinion the way that I will. But then they'll all dither like a bunch of... That's right where we live. Oh, good God, you morons. I got a bunch of freaking children. Anyway. But this... I'm not even remotely surprised like this. Not just because California's lost its mind, because it has. What did you think would happen? We created a situation in California where any product that can be shown in a laboratory to possibly cause cancer has to come with a warning label. Then we have a financial incentive here. You heard what she said at the end. Well, uh, uh, they, they, they're going to go back now and see if they can get any kind of civil penalty. Civil penalty, my ass. That's blood-sucking lawyer talk for stealing money from someone that didn't do anything wrong. But you notice the question she never asked, answered? The blithering idiot that did the report? When the other blithering idiots asked her... What will happen to businesses who fail to comply with this order? Because here's the honest answer. Armed men with guns will come and extort money from them and possibly take them away and put them in prison or jail and shut down their business for not putting up a sign that is false. It's false. You're not risking cancer because you drank a freaking cup of Starbucks. Zidiacy. But if you create a system that works like this, this is the inevitable result. And you, if you think like this is the epitome of the, uh, the, the, the level of idiocy and lunacy to come out of the state of California, you ain't seen nothing yet. Give that state another 20 years, and it'll make the nonsense going on in Great Britain look like a day at Disneyland. It really will. It, it, it is gonna, we have reached a point in many of these things where now the snowball occur, is occurring. The education system we talked about earlier, that's what's happened. It's reached a point, and now it's running away. And it, the, the result is inevitable. The question is the timing. 
California completely nuking itself, completely nuking itself, economically, financially, demographically, you name it, inevitable. How long do they have left? That is the only question. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't live there. You couldn't pay me to live in that place. No way in hell. This is just another example of why. But if you create this environment, this is what you're going to get. This is the same state where people were sued because they marked lumber as two-by-fours when they're one-and-a-half by three-and-a-half dimensional lumber. Well, everybody in the world, every contract, no one no one actually thought, oh, I actually am getting a two-by-four. You know, and it's not like, you know, like they sell measuring devices right there. You can go get a tape measure and check if you really get They did it because they could and they could get money out of it. They got millions and millions. I think they got billions of dollars on that one. If you create a system where people can use the state to enrich themselves, people will use the state to enrich themselves. And in California, they've created a super enrichment potential for lawyers. So this is going to keep going. But just remember that. Whenever anybody says, well, what's going to happen to somebody that doesn't do what the state says? Violence at the point of a gun to require compliance and or the shutting down of their business, and or the wrongful imprisoning of those people, but will be legal under the state's bullshit. That's that's the answer to that question that, that uh, Miss uh, Blithering Idiot didn't want to answer there. That, that's your answer. Our men will come and make them. And you should think about that. Whenever somebody's talking about the, 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 the validity of a law, or the fact that we need a law, or we should have a new rule or a new regulation, or why we shouldn't repeal an existing one, is it worth... Having armed men do violence by proxy on your part for you to support this. If you won't do the violence yourself, if you wouldn't be willing to go put a gun in somebody's face over it yourself, so the kind of person that would support this shit, would you go point a forty-five at the guy's head and make him put that sign up? No. Well, then don't do it with somebody else's arm and somebody else's gun because it's what you're doing. Oh, that's crazy. Well, actually examine it. Look at it. Be honest with yourself about what you're doing. We might have a better society if we did. California, it's over. It's over. This is a, a, a symptom of a, of a plague in that state. By the way, well, the next story we have for you, um, California is re- worried that they could lose billions of dollars in revenue, which we've already discussed is stolen money. Okay? And how's that going to work out? Well, it's going to work out this way. The, uh, the census that will come out in 2020... For the first time for everybody since 1950, and the first time for anybody, I think, since 1990, maybe I'm wrong there, but something like that. Because there were two different forms. That's where the confusion over this lies. But the census will ask, are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a citizen of the United States? Um, Of course, I, as an anarchist, don't want any of this shit. But if if we're going to have a country and we're going to have laws then we should at least live by those laws. And if they're wrong, then we should use the process in place to change them. If that's what the, that's what the agreement supposed, that's this mystical social contract people tell me that I'm bound to, that I've never seen and no one can actually show me where I signed it, but that's the story. So if that's going to be your story, then we should follow things legitimately under that system as best we can. Well, let's start out with what is the intention of the census? What is the purpose of the census? Not what is done with the sentences today, which is, you know, we figure out how much money a state gets for this and for that and where this goes and how many people are dropping out of high school and all this other crap. When they set up under our Constitution 
for there to be a national census, what was the purpose of it? What was the intent of establishing a census in this country? And by the way, it was not done initially. It, was, it wasn't actually in the Constitution. It was added as a thing that the government did. Uh, and some people say it's unconstitutional. The people that wrote the Constitution, that signed it, were still alive. When the first census was done, I think in uh, 1820 or 1810, something like that. They didn't have anything to say about it. They didn't get upset about it. Because the purpose was, in our Constitution, it defines how we appropriate congressional representatives to the states based on how many people live there. Right? Got it? Okay. So... That is based on people that can vote. That is based on citizens. That is based on people that have a right to be there, whether you think they should or not, under our Constitution and our legal system, and have the full rights of a citizen. Now, yes, I know about the three-fifths rule. It's not like I skipped that day in history. I think like a lot of you guys skipped a lot of days in history, by the way. Um, but I understand that women weren't allowed to vote, and only property was in any event. It was still determined. That in, let's say, a state, Virginia, they would count up the people that were living there who were citizens and use that to determine how many congressional representatives they get. That is fact. That is the purpose of the census. Okay, so when you count people in the census as citizens who are not citizens, regardless of every other thing, What will happen is inevitably that state's population of citizens will look larger than it is, and they will get more representatives, and that can swing the balance of power. So even if the illegal alien's not voting, their body count allows for yet another rep to exist in a district that was going to be largely Democratic, by the way. We know that by looking across the country. So there's a balance before anything else. There's a balance of power issue here. And it is likely that in 2020, after this census, the Democrats will lose seats in the House without an election ever having to happen. There will just simply not be as many districts in states like California uh, in, in after 2020. There just won't be. In fact, Texas will probably lose states, uh, 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 reps, but they'll lose them in those largely Democratic-centric territories. So it can shift the balances. So that's, that's the real reason everybody's flipping their shit about this. No one seems to want to talk about it that way. Oh, it's people's civil rights. It's not, it's not unconstitutional in a census to be asked if you're a citizen of the country that you're in. When the purpose is to determine representation for voting, which non-legal citizens do not have a right to do. You know, all this shit about Trump and Russia is about a foreign power meddling in our election. Oh. If you are worried about that and you don't think this is an issue, then, again, preference over principle. If you have consistent principles, this is not acceptable. Illegal aliens being counted as citizens for the appropriation, the apportioning, I'm sorry, of elected officials, whether they're voting or not, doesn't matter, by increasing the body count effectively or having a much bigger effect than any individual or even block of votes ever could. You've actually created a new governmental position by existing. Now, on top of it, what California's really freaking out about is they get a whole lot of federal money based on population counts and certain things that they may not be entitled to their share of the stolen Robin Hood money if certain people don't 
And here's the thing. It's not that because we'll say, okay, well, X number of these people are non-citizens, they don't get this money anymore. Because non-legal, non-legal residents in the United States, we call those illegal aliens, whether people like that politically correct or not, do not qualify for welfare. I'll say it again, they do not get welfare. Their children get welfare. I know you don't believe that, but it's the truth. If you are an illegal alien in the United States, you do not qualify for welfare directly. But what happens is they come here, they have anchor babies, the children qualify for welfare, and of course the parents are the means by which they receive the money. So the money would still go there. But how much money is apportioned to the state as a whole in many of these programs where there's block grants to the state, right? Okay, the state for this thing gets this much federal money is based on the population. So as long as all those illegal aliens still answer the census and just put no, they'd still get the billions of dollars. What California's afraid of, they'll be afraid to respond to the census. So they won't be counted. So California won't get its share of the stolen money that they call revenue. That's what's really going around here. Uh, the Democrats are concerned in losing power because there's people being counted to apportion districts that should not be counted. And the states are pissed off because they may lose some of their share of the stolen money because no one's going to come kicking anybody's door in over this. Oh, there's all this shit about the illegal aliens will be terrified. They won't come. They're not afraid. They're not afraid. If, if they actually wanted to just pick people up for being illegal aliens, like ice guys walking around grabbing people off the street, I can tell you 20 different places in Dallas-Fort Worth. You could just pull up and pick up 20, 40, 50 people at a shot. They're sitting outside of Home Depot. They're sitting outside a racetrack. They're, they're day laborers. They're all illegals. Everybody knows it. Nobody does anything. Nobody's, and I'm not saying somebody should. I'm just saying the whole story that they're just ripping people out of their homes for no reason at all and deporting them. And the children are left homeless and toothless in a box on the side of the road because evil Donald Trump or evil Barack Obama or evil George Bush or evil Bill Clinton just sent thugs to go grab the person because they didn't have the right paperwork is nonsense. No one's to be deported like that. No one. They don't do it. These people being deported, every single one of them has been through our criminal justice system for crimes other than illegal immigration before they get deported. Unless they try to do it legally and then something gets screwed up, then they might get deported. But the people that just come here and work and don't do shit, right, they don't get deported. They don't. And if they do, they're less than 1% of deportations. All these deportations that were supposed to happen to people in Oakland, and this mayor there should go to federal prison for what she did, giving advanced warning. All of these people were people that had gone to the penitentiary. These were felons. Now, I am the first person to say there are felonies that shouldn't even be illegal. Like the possession of a certain amount of narcotics is considered intended to distribute. It becomes a felony versus a misdemeanor simple possession where they can prove you sold drugs or not. I don't think that should be a felony. I'm sure some of the guys that are getting thrown out, that's their felony. But, okay, if you're here illegally, then maybe you shouldn't be doing shit like that, you know? Stay below the radar type of thing. They're all just hardworking. No, they're not all hardworking. Not every immigrant's hardworking. Some are scum. Some are MS-13 gang members. Some are Latin kings. And some are busting their ass trying to fulfill the American dream and hoping to hell they don't get kicked out and they know at least the kids that they had here won't, that they'll be citizens. And they are the, the immigrants that built the backbone of this country. But it's all over the board. But the census thing, that's not, they want to make it, I want to wrap all that bullshit into this. 
what's the intent of the census? To apportion elected congressional representatives by state district based on population of citizens. That is the only legitimate purpose of our census. All the other shit they do with it right now, they shouldn't be doing. It's not how they should be doing it. There's no, there's no justification constitutionally for using a census to determine how much money you send to the state of California or the state of New Mexico that you stole from the state of Florida. None. The only reason for the census, the only reason the founders didn't take arms up a second time is because the census was to apportion our elected officials. And if you, if you do anything else with it, you create Inter, you create foreign interference with U.S. elections. That, there is no more concrete. That's so much more concrete than did Russia spend some money on some ads. I, it's just ridiculous. It's the, the Trump hatred disorder, I guess, is what causes people to even think that way. All right, so next. Um, I have an article that saw National Geographic, and I want to read a little bit of it to you. Um, 75% of Earth's lands areas are degraded. Uh, Medellina, Colombia. Medellin, Colombia. More than 75% of the Earth's land areas are substantially degraded, undermining the well-being of 3.2 billion people. According to the world's first comprehensive evidence-based assessment, these lands that have either become deserts, are polluted, or have been deforested uh, and converted to agricultural production are also the main causes of species extinction. If this trend continues, 95% of the Earth's land area could become degraded by 2050. That would be potentially force hundreds of millions of people to migrate. As food production collapses in many places, the report warns. Land degradation, biodiversity loss, and climate change are three different faces of the same central challenge. The increasingly dangerous impact of our choices on our health of our natural environments is Sir Robert Watson, chair of the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services. You notice that the more words they have to describe a title in government, the bigger the bullshit is that comes out of it. Anyway, uh, which produced the report, uh, IPBES is the IPCC for biodiversity. <laughs> My God. A scientific assessment of the status of non-human life that makes up the Earth's life support system. The land degradation took three years and more than 100 leading experts from 45 countries. Rapid expansion of unsustainable management of croplands and grazing lands is the main driver for land de degradation, causing significant loss of biodiversity, impacting food security, water purification, provision of energy, and other contributions of nature essential to people. This has reached critical levels in many parts of the world, Watson said in an interview. Now, you can read the rest of the article if you want to have it linked. It's pretty long, but I said this could be a good thing, didn't I? And you, you wonder how this could possibly be 75% of the Earth's lands are degraded. We're going to be up to 95 if we keep doing it by 2050. How could there be any goodness? Okay, well, the, the reason there could be goodness is there's absolutely no reason that we can't fix it or at least make it better and improve what we have. And the world's a pretty good place. No matter how bad they tell you it is, uh, how, how much they try to convince our young people that the oceans are going to swallow Florida by the end of the next week or some stupid shit from global warming or whatever, no matter what they say, no matter all of the problems that are real, all the pollution is real, the earth is a pretty good place. And what this means is it could be a lot better. And the solutions in the world, words of Bill Mollison, where he said, the, while the problems of the world are increasingly complex, the solutions are embarrassingly simple. 
And one thing I don't like about this article, and it is just governmental bullshit that, that, that shows through in it, is it, it, it blames countries like the United States for offshoring their pollution and offshoring uh, their environmental degradation and for screwing things up in other countries. That's true, but it makes it as though, like, oh, yeah, but they do everything great where they are, and they just take all their bullshit for their, so they can get surplus, and they go elsewhere with it. And there's some of that, but the reality is 75% of the earth includes us. There's, I would like someone to look at what percentage of the United States itself has landed as degraded. Because what does degraded mean? It means worse than it used to be. I mean, you could have, see, the reason I like this 75% is also it could be very misleading. How much of that 75% will we call a condition that's 10% degraded from where it was at peak? Or where it should be? How much of it is land that is 50% degraded? How much, you see what I'm saying? How much of it is land that is 80% degraded? How much of it is land that used to be fertile grassland that is now true desert? Things like that. Like, it, you don't really understand the scope of the problem, and you may make the problem look bigger than it is, which is what these groups always want to do. But you're also letting the U.S. off the hook for the damage we're doing on our own land. Look at the dead zone in the Mississippi River Delta. Look at the, the, the damage that's been done to this country as a whole by, by agriculture. And we don't see it. It all looks neat and nice because it's all in squares. And, you know, the, the thing is that where we do a lot of our agriculture, it's pretty flat. And because we use a lot of chemicals and all, it's pretty forgiving, at least to the eye. To the eye, it looks like, oh, that works pretty good. That's okay. Look at all that corn growing there. It can't be that bad. Look at all that soy there. That can't be that bad. People don't realize that's a desert. Artificially maintained on life support. So the reason it's good, though, is there is not a single one of these problems that we don't have an answer for, specifically from the world of permaculture. We can stop the erosion butt cold. And it's the cheapest solution we could implement at a large scale. Jeff Lawton did an assessment of all the problems we have with the dead zone and all the irrigation and, stuff, and everything going into the Mississippi River and the, you know, creating that dead zone at the Delta and all. And his estimate was we could completely fix that problem for an investment of about $9 billion dollars. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but this is a massive environmental problem. Massive environmental problem. And we can fix it for $9 billion. And what does our government spend billions of dollars on now? I mean, these people did spend $8 million to put a turtle tunnel in, as though turtles would know how to use a tunnel in the state of Florida. They put it in an $8 million hole under a road. $8 million to put a culvert in for turtles. The turtles don't use, by the way. So that makes, you know, nine billion to fix the, and of course we could spend a few hundred million of money that we just don't spend somewhere else to test the theory and see if it works on a smaller scale. And when it does, then we could do all that. But we can fix that problem for nine billion dollars in a government that spends trillions of dollars every year. And we don't, because we don't really care. But we can fix these problems on so many levels. You know, if you look at the videos I put out last week, this piece of land here, it's only three acres. The transformation is amazing. The biodiversity is amazing. The animals living here, the birds living here, the insects living here. It's unbelievable the difference in four years. I just heard from Mark Shepard, pretty big honor, too. He asked me to actually write the foreword for his new book that will be coming out later this year. I told him I'd be honored to do it. He saw that video. He said, damn. It's unbelievable. He also said, you know, when I moved here... You could see nothing but cornfields. And my farm was just a busted, run-out, 
degraded, dilapidated old cornfield. Now from my house, you can't even see a cornfield anymore. He did it on 130 acres. I did it on three. Jeff Lawton did it with the PRI in, in, in Australia on about, I think, 110, something like that. People are doing this all over. It's not hard. It's difficult, but it's not hard. The reason it's not hard is we know what to do. And there's people a hell of a lot better at it than I am. All the solutions exist. And some of them are crazy simple. If you moved onto a piece of land that was a quarter acre, there isn't anything that you couldn't do with just sheet mulching unless you live on a cliff. I'm not saying it's the only solution you should implement. But on a quarter acre, you could sheet mulch the whole thing in a couple weeks by hand with a wheelbarrow and a pickup truck. And that alone will just completely transform the soil, soil biology of the place. What we can do with spraying some compost tea is ridiculous. Planting the right species, understanding erosion. We can fix every single thing that's wrong. And, and it's one of the few places where it can be done individually and in a distributed way, in a non-centralized way. But even at the centralized governmental bureaucracy level, a lot of this stuff could be done that way. Now, there's a lot of things environmentally, etc., that can never be done as long as we stay centralized. We have to go to decentralized to fix them. We have to. But erosion? We have equipment now that runs on a GPS that we can put out in the middle of a desert and just push it and let it go. And put massive swells to stop erosion in the deserts and refill the aquifers of our declining rivers coming through the western United States with a ditch. It's a little more complicated than that, but in the end, it's a ditch. It's a spreading swale. It's a, it's, it's a channel with a berm. Call it whatever you want to, depending on what lingo you're using. But it's a ditch in the end of me. It's a ditch. It's a level ditch that one big scraper can make. We can fix everything. And you can participate. That's why I think this is actually good news. If we're this good... With 75% of our ground degraded, how good could we be if we restored 10% of that, 20% of that, 30% of that? As I said in my video last week, while you're here, make the most of your dash, plant a forest, leave a legacy. With that, we're to the end of our show, and we had a good one today, a lot of different topics, and some good old-fashioned Jack rants that made us feel like we were back in 2008, 2009, didn't it? Um, but let's talk it's about something a little bit uh, fun here at the end as we talk about our uh, T-SPAS segment of the day. If you're new to the show, um, you can always help support our work by going to tspaz.com whenever you shop online. So all you got to do, you see all my reviews and stuff like that. You buy anything that I've reviewed or whatever or anything. If you go to tspaz.com first, you can help support us. Um, and today I have a fun thing for you. It is not a prepper product at all in any way, except you'll be prepared to make the best Bloody Mary of your life. Yes, I said Bloody Mary. Um, this stuff's awesome. It's called Dimitri's Bacon Rim Shot for Bloody Marys. And basically, it is a spiced rim salt that tastes like bacon, pepper, and salt, and a few other little things. It's really, really good. And just like you rim a salt glass for a margarita, you 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 know take a lime or use water and wet the, the glass that you're going to make your Bloody Mary in, and you... Stick it in this little tin that's the right size that you can you know, put a glass in there and get it nicely rimmed. Then you make your Bloody Mary. And when you drink it, you get this bacon, salt, pepper thing. It's very, very nice. And it's just really cool. But what I want, the reason I include it, I want to tell you kind of the story of how I 
came across this. So my buddy David, who's my partner in crime at Hilltown for breakfast, right? He's a mixologist. He loves to make drinks as much as I love to cook. He likes to cook too, but man, he really shines on making these drinks. So I'm on uh, Amazon and I was realizing like, I don't know that I have a proper glass for Bloody Mary. And apparently that's a highball glass. So I'm looking at some highball glasses and all. And I put in Bloody Mary glasses. So that starts the whole Amazon showing you related items and stuff like that. And this stuff comes up. And I'm like, that is, I got to try this. So I'm, I, I'm just about to hit add to cart. And I'm like, I don't have to buy this. I know what to do here. So I, I just copy the link, throw in a text message over to David and say, hey, man, have you seen this? Like 10 minutes go by, he comes back. You know I had to buy that, right? I'm like, yeah, hook, line, and sinker. So not only did he buy it so we could try it through him instead of me, I know what's going to happen. The next time he comes over, he's going to bring it and make me a Bloody Mary. So we just did uh, the second shoot for Built On for Breakfast on Saturday, and he made fan. I got pictures. It's like breakfast in a glass. He's got bacon in there, freaking colored carrots and olives and gherkins and onions and cilantro and bacon plus this bacon it was fantastic now story gets better so he packs up all his stuff at the end of the day his little bartender kit and he leaves and i look and there's his celery bitters yes i said celery bitters i have a link to those too we started looking at all the different bitters and he found celery bitters celery bloody mary yes he left his celery bitters and he left his uh mixer his bloody mary mixer behind i'm like score so sunday morning I knew the family was going to be coming over, and I love my family, but I mean like the whole family, nieces, grandnieces, nephews, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, you know, would you, your niece-in-law, I guess, whatever, like 20 people at my house, which is great. We have all the outdoor space now, and I'm going to be cooking, and all these people are going to be here and what have you, so I, I am much more a hermit than not, so I sat out on my new patio in these new chairs we got that are just so comfortable and i made up my own bloody mary i didn't have quite all the stuff that david did but i had like one of his carrots he left over too and i had these little sweet pepper and i stuffed it with this cheese that i made and i put some of that bacon stuff on top of the cheese and threw some cilantro in there and i sat there and i had kind of a meditative bloody mary experience it was beautiful out Birds were singing, all my trees are growing, and I took 45 minutes to finish that Bloody Mary. I mean, you talk about sipping. And I think Bloody Mary Sundays might become a ritual here on, on the Nine Mile Farm. I really do. This stuff was fantastic, though. And But here was the thing. So I made this pepper, and I stuffed the cheese in it. It's just yogurt cheese, where you take the yogurt, you put it in cheesecloth, or I use flour sack towels, and you drain it overnight, and you get a thickened cheese. I did salt, pepper, uh, jalapeno, and garlic. And we did a bunch with that this week. I shoved that in that pepper, and I put that bacon salt on there. I could eat a hundred of those things. Not cooked, just raw, sweet. The little sweet peppers, the ones you get in the store, they're about the size of like a chili pepper, but they're sweet peppers. Holy God, those are good. So I think this stuff, like, yeah, Bloody Marys, it's the bomb for Bloody Marys. But there's got to be other things you can do for it. By the way, the same company uh, is called, again, Dimitri's All Natural Bacon Rim Shot. Uh, makes other stuff for Bloody Marys. It's kind of their specialty or forte, I guess. They have some pretty interesting mixer concentrates. So they're like a concentrated mixer that you add tomato juice to. So that'll keep your shipping down, what have you. But each bottle makes 32 Bloody Marys. Uh, so that's cool. I haven't tried them yet, but I have a link to them. But they also have this thing, like, it's the next thing I'm trying to, to, to get David to buy. 
They're pepperoni sticks, you know, like kind of like Slim Jim size type things, but they're pepperoni. They have a hole in them, so that's your straw for your Bloody Mary. So that may be a little over the top, but you can check all that stuff out. But give this uh, this bacon rim shot salt stuff a shot, man. And even if you're not a, a drinker and you don't do Bloody Marys, like I said, I think you know cheese stuff, peppers with the stuff sprinkled on. There's got to be other things you can do with it. If you've done anything with like bacon salt or a product like this uh, culinarily, let me know. I'd love to hear about it. Anyway, with that, we're ready for our song of the day today. Our song of the day today is by a guy named Ed Sheeran, which I, who I've never heard of, and it's called Castle on a Hill. He's a British artist, younger guy, kind of a pop music type thing, a uh, little bit toward the bubblegum bubble pop world, I guess. You know, not, it's pretty formulaic, but a good song. But the song and the video to the song, man, talk about a song that makes you think about when you were 17. This song's so nostalgic. And it might take a, 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 you know, it might take watching the video. There's a link to it in the show notes today to really get it. Um, but it just makes you think back to when you were 17. He talks about like, like you know, getting drunk and running from the cops and stuff like that. And like he grew up in this kind of idyllic little small town, and there was a castle on the hill in this town that the whole town was kind of around. And very very cool. And it makes me think of being Jack Smirko in the coal region of Pennsylvania as a teenager. And, you know, I was probably a little bit too far outside of bounds at that point in my life. I've often said, uh, say what you want about the Army, but the Army probably saved my life. If nothing else, it saved me from spending time in, you know, an institution, a different kind of institution, if you know what I mean. Uh, it put my life in the right perspective, and it gave me impetus to do other things with it other than just be a screw-up like a lot of my friends were. Um, most of them did not end up in one of those institutions, though, so far as I know. I think I was the one kind of more likely to. So if you're listening, I know I have some people from back that time that listen to this show. I'm not talking about you, man. I'm talking about me. And you know what I mean when I'm talking about me. But what it, what it makes me think of is, so this was a great weekend, right? I mean, this was my buddy David here. I'm my buddy Hatch here to help us get all our audio and our video right and everything. Do some consulting with David. Sold me some equipment. Hung out. Really stayed, me and Hatch stayed up really late. We drank all the alcohol. If we had it, we drank, I don't mean we drank all of the quantity. I mean, you drank all the things, a sip of this, a nip of that, had a great time. And uh, during all of this, going on, my family coming over, don't take it the wrong way when I say, you know, I, I, I like to be a hermit. I love when my family's here in, in many ways. Uh, so that was great. But somebody in Virginia named Derek, uh, there was a box sitting out by the, the gate, and David picked it up when he got here. And I went, it was kind of heavy, and I like, what the hell, I don't remember ordering anything, and I didn't recognize the address or Cut it open, it's a 12-pack of Yingling Lager in cans. And I'm like, this day just got better. So we have some, some footage of having some yingling. It's part of Bill Tong for breakfast. But uh, here's what this has to do with this song. So I was telling my brother-in-law, because I shared one with him while he was over, and he's like, I don't want to take one of your, you know, I'm like, it's not that big a deal. People do this once in a while for me, you know. So it's not the greatest beer in the world. It's a decent beer. But it's the beer I drank when I was a kid doing all the crazy shit they're talking about in this song. So when I sit down, it's that same kind of meditative experience I had with that Bloody Mary on Sunday. I'm not talking about pounding them here. I'm talking about you pour one glass of beer. And you sit somewhere where there's no one to bother you and you're alone with your thoughts. And I drink that beer. I think about those bonfires that we all used to pile around when I was a kid. I think about, you know, some of my first girlfriends and wondering, like, can I kiss her now? Will she kiss me back? You know, if I ask this girl out, will she go out with me? You know, I think about all of the good shit from that time of my life. And I think it, it also cautions one thing 
that I think is important that we remember that all of that good stuff came with a lot of rough stuff. Growing up is hard. Being a teenager is hard. It's got to be harder now than it was when we were kids. They can't get away with anywhere near as much as what we got away with, but yet they get away with a lot more in the cyber world, but they don't get, enough, they don't get away with enough in the real world. You know, and, and uh, consequences of their mistakes seem to be higher today in a lot of ways. We should remember that too. For one, so that we look out after this current generation, and maybe have a little bit of tolerance from time to time with them. We we tend to forget because we remember all the good things we did and not all the screwed up things we did. We remember all the good things we did and, and we forget how apathetic and lazy and sorry ass we were at times too. But the other reason is if you get too nostalgic and you only remember the good in your past, the, the present cannot seem so great. Most of us that are in our forties, fifties, sixties. We're in a far better place today than we were when we were 20. We've lost some of that magic of youth. You know, and there's an old saying, youth is wasted on the young. But I think it's fun to take the trip back every once in a while for a lot of reasons. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. When I was six years old, I broke my leg. I was running from my brother and his friends And tasted the sweet perfume of the mountain grass I rolled down I was younger then Take me back to when I found my heart Broke it here, made friends and lost them through the years And I've not seen the boring fields in so long I know I've grown, but I can't wait to go home I'm on my way
friend left to sell clothes One works down by the coast One had two kids but lives alone One's brother overdosed One's already on his second wife One's just barely getting by But these people raised me and I Can't wait to go home And I'm on my way I still remember these old country lanes When we